Welcome down to my nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. You are listening to Bucks in the Basement. My name's Chris, and Craig here is the biggest Pirates fan you'll ever meet. Let's talk Pirates baseball now. Welcome to Bucks in the Basement. Now I see the changes in this town. They change, they say one thing, but then the next day. to the nine foot homemade oak bar pour yourself a cold one my name is chris his name is craig this is bucks in the basement 30 minutes of pirates talk for fans by fans the all-star break is upon us uh it is slow out there in the newsrooms and we have ridiculous ridiculous articles being put in the pittsburgh post-gazette how are you my friend i'm doing pretty good brother and this is before the show we were talking about like this is the second article written by pittsburgh sports media should be tuned in, but are completely tuned out, calling for O'Neill Cruz to be sent down and how bad he is, even though people will put out there that, you know, it, his defense, which is what we were actually kind of worried about, like we weren't saying O'Neill Cruz is going to be a terrible defender. We looked at his stats, we looked at, you know, and I've watched him and seen some of his throws, and it was stuff we were worried about. He's actually been a pretty good defender. He's, you know, getting caught up on some of, you know, the pitches. He struck out four times, I believe it was, on Sunday and then hit a single. Uh, he's he's struggling against left-handers, which, you know, he's, he, he's going to happen. But somebody said, well, he's like almost like a one-war player on, on, you know, baseball reference war. And somebody's just like, well, that basically means that that stat doesn't mean anything anymore. Okay, well, first of all, that's ridiculous. Over 26 games, he was worth an extra windier team. And that that stat does matter. And then the stat of only 26 games and 104 plate appearances matter as well. You know, here, here's the deal. I don't know Ron Cook. I don't have any uh, personal issue with Ron Cook. But I don't think he should be writing about Pittsburgh Pirates baseball, especially because he can't get three paragraphs without using a football reference. And this idea that, well, since Zawinski went down, we should send down Cruz as well. Jack Zawinski had a far greater amount of time up here and was in the middle of a slump after getting a chance to adjust and then pitchers adjusted back to him. That that I compare to Jared Kalinick. I, I want to say I'm saying his name right. The guy out in Seattle. I've only seen his name in print. Okay, he's their young superstar outfielder of the future who came up and they let him play for months He's out there in AAA Tacoma, and he's hitting the bejesus out of the ball. But they don't care about what he does in AAA Tacoma because there's a specific thing he's supposed to fix in his swing. And until he does that, he's not coming back up. If the Pirates are doing that with Zawinski, that makes sense to me. But sending O'Neill Cruz down because he's he's out of the gate slow as a rookie, that is a terrible decision. You you have to give him an opportunity to adjust at the major league level. If he's got another 100, 200 at-bats, if he finishes out the year and it's not going so well, okay, fine. At some point, you got to let your kids figure out what they're doing. Otherwise, what you're telling me is that the staff of the Pittsburgh Pirates is incapable of fixing a player, that, the, that your batting coach does nothing, that the guys down in the minor leagues are more talented in teaching him. 
It's a it's a bad argument, right? This early on in his time up here in the majors, it's a bad argument. And you know what's crazy about it is that Jason Mackey's in the exact same paper on the exact same day saying that Aaron Judge thinks O'Neill Cruz is better than him. So <laughs> I don't I, why would you do that then? Because guess who struggled when he like very early on, and then he went nuts and ended up winning the rookie of the year. But he was up like in a in the back end, I want to say, of a season. And he came up and he got his butt kicked by Major League Pitching. And then when he had his full rookie season, he went nuts. Aaron Judge. All right. I'm going to trust him and Jason Mackey a little bit more and their assessment. Yeah. And like I said, Chris, like within that same article embedded, Paul Zeiss was, you know, basically bashing the Pirates for sending Sawinski down. Ron Cook using it as as his argument. Sawinski as his argument. And like you said, Sawinski, he was in the middle of a O for 28 streak. And it wasn't like he was hitting the cover off of the ball and, you know, stuff just wasn't falling in for him. I mean, there's been multiple discussions that I've heard from anybody that actually follows the team, a lot of the beat writers and different stuff that, and conversations with Derek Shelton that Sawinski was getting out on like these check swings, like at least three check swings that he is not seeing the ball well. He's not, you know, his approach, there was something that was maybe just a little bit off. And so you set him down for a little bit. Like, this isn't the end of Jack Swincy's career. I mean, obviously, he's shown with his 14 home runs that he has the ability at times to hit major league pitching, but there is something he's missing once they started fighting back. And and I even go to, like, a Diego Castillo. Probably at some point we had discussed potentially could have been sent down. When we had Mike Piersack on the last time, that was like one of our main discussions, which is, you know, Castillo was like all only thing he was hitting was home runs. Well, since that time, you know, Castillo, who had gone into a slump, started to come out of that slump over his last 10 games played and 44 plate appearances. He got his batting average. It's, you know, he's 286 where in June he had been like 123. And that's the point in time where everything he was hitting was a home run, so his slugging was still up. So he was able to fight back. And and I even like have when I'm watching the games, I'm watching Castillo's approach in the month of June. There's something that changed, but they were able to make that adjustment up here. But Sawinski, I'm thinking maybe they were doing the same thing and saw that it wasn't happening. And it's like, man, go back down, go back down to AAA, get in the cage because I mean we are on the all-star break across, you know, Major League Baseball and Minor League Baseball. And, and try to, you know, start to work on some things. And I don't know why, like, people got so frustrated with it. And I'm like, but then they brought, like, Cal Mitchell back up. I, I understand, like, people are like, you know, sending Sawinski down is, is the worst thing in the history of the world. Like, the team is definitely trying to tank now. But you can't, like, make an argument that, like, you know, Yoshi shouldn't be on the team. We all know Yoshi shouldn't be on the team. Josh Van Meter. Josh Van Meter shouldn't be on the team. But you can't use them like being on the team as the argument for not sending like Sawinski down that that's that's apples and oranges no and here's the thing let's let's compare more apples to apples we're going to use the article by Mackey and the fact that Aaron Judge compares himself to O'Neill Cruz and says I think he's better than me Aaron Judge in 2016 at the age of 24 played 27 games for the New York Yankees he was not a September call-up he goes 27 games O'Neill Cruz has 26 to date Aaron Judge hit 179 with a 263 on base percentage, a 608 slugging, and looked atrocious at the plate. 
just absolutely atrocious. O'Neill Cruz over that time hitting, what, 204, 240 on base percentage, 638 OPS. Pretty, pretty similar stats, right? Well, the Yankees didn't say, okay, you're going to start the next year in the minors, young man. You know, we got to get you more. We got to get you more seasoning. You were overmatched. No, no, no. He used the time that he was in the majors to figure out what he was doing wrong. And then over the next 155 games and 678 plate appearances, he hit 284 with a 1,049 OPS, came in second in the MVP, first in rookie of the year because he was just inside the qualifying thing, won a silver slugger and went to the all-star game. Imagine if the Yankees would have gone with that philosophy and said, no, 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 he needs more seasoning in AAA. Look what we all would have been denied. Look what the Yankees would have denied themselves. It's a terrible theory. And to sit there and also compare Zawitzki to Cruz and their their development, they're two different players. O'Neill Cruz is the kind of prospect that teams drool over. Everybody's got a Zawinski. Okay, like, I mean, I know Pirates fans are excited about him, but they're not even the same caliber in terms of potential. At this point, you let the guy who's destined to be a star learn how to be a star at the major league level. It makes no sense. Okay, and you know what? I'm going to go with a team that's won 27 championships and operates in a way in which they try to win every single year and their philosophy in dealing with their high end prospects over this ridiculous theory floated in the paper today. It's clickbait. I mean, that's that's pretty much what it comes down to in my mind. It's it's something to start an argument to get views because then people will share it. Because I, what's that saying? It's like there's there's no such thing as like bad press. It's just that you will get those clicks and and you will get people pointed towards your paper, and they will read the good article like you're pointing out from Jason Mackey. They'll read everything else while they're there, just like kind of like we did. Like, I didn't want to read that article from Ron Cook. I knew it was going to be terrible, but I had to read it just because I'm just like, what is this guy going to say? And using, like, we talked about before the show, talking about, like, Mickey Mantle and, and like, Willie McCovey as, like, his arguments. Right. He also used Tyreek Hill in the article. I want to say he brought up James Harrison somehow. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what any of the football has to do with the article. I don't get it. Yeah. It's like when, when you saw James Harrison out on the field and, and you knew it was him. Well, obviously, if you see O'Neill Cruz, my mom, who watch, who I watched the games with like recently here over the past couple weeks, she's all she says every single time is, oh, that's that that Cruz guy's up. He's so tall. Everybody knows who O'Neill Cruz is. So like, what does what does James Harrison have to do with anything? Tell me you're a casual baseball fan without actually saying it. That <laughs> I mean, like makes no sense. May and you know, and and maybe maybe I need to be a little bit more of a casual baseball fan because somehow today I'm irked over the home run derby. Like I'm irked over the fact that they didn't count a Kyle Schwarber home run. I'm irked over the fact that Juan Soto is swinging and hitting out bombs, even though the ball hasn't landed yet. There's absolutely no rules to this thing. I can't believe people even bet on it. Like I think betting on the home run derby is the same as betting on the result of WrestleMania. Okay. Like maybe you need (laughs) to keep your money in your pocket and stay off of that app for the, for the home run derby, because I would never take out my hard earned dollars again for an exhibition contest like that, in which there was really no rules during it. And there were no rules. The outcome was changed throughout the Derby. Albert Pujols advances because they just don't count a home run. The, everybody at home and the entire stadium watches the ball go out and the counter doesn't move. I mean, it was like, 
And people are betting money on this. People won and lost money off, off of something that nobody really officiated. Like, that, it's insane to me. Maybe maybe I need to be more casual because it irks me today. Yeah, and, and it was, I kept on seeing that. And, and I saw people, like, posting out, like, I think the over-under I saw was, like, 20.5 on, on Schwarber's home runs. And technically, he hit 21. No, I think he. they gave him 19. He technically hit 20. He got beat okay. 20 to 19. But you're right. He was getting close at the end, right? Yeah. Like, he was getting cl- – I mean, it's weird, but he was getting close at the end. And I'm not going to sit there and say that ESPN is working with the gambling industry to keep down the number of home runs. I'm just saying that there was a lot of incompetence there and that there really wasn't any checking of the rules. I mean, the, the Soto thing is just as egregious. Now, he wins the title – but there's multiple screenshots that show the ball leaving the hand of, of his batting practice pitcher and the and the ball that he just hit still up in the air. And it's supposed to land or it doesn't count. And they're counting it, right? So, I mean, yeah. like, like the, the rules didn't actually apply, right? I mean, it's an exhibition. It's like, why would I bet on the All-Star game? Like, there's certain things like maybe you shouldn't bet on. I mean, I know that there's people out there that have a sickness and they should go and they should go seek help. But if you're putting a bunch of money down on the on the home run competition, especially after you see what happened this year, you, you know you might. There's lots of other things that you can go and bet on as well, right? I mean, go bet on the go bet on who's going to win the Royal Rumble. <laughs> you got, you got just a good a chance of getting a fair shake in that bet, and that's determined ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, it's Chris. It's it's so funny, and like you said, like there's this going on. It's like the All Star break. Their draft is going on, and there's an article about O'Neill Cruz being sent out. Like, I, there's just so much to just be. Well, let's talk about the draft. Let's talk about the draft. What did you think of what the Pirates did? Because we covered it on this show. We talked about it. They had a high end pick. I didn't have a problem with it. What did you think? Well, I, I was for me like as soon as you know the Rangers kind of went off the board, but not their board, and signed uh, Kamar Rocker. I was thinking like Tamar Johnson, Cam Collier. Uh, we had uh, we had Joe Doyle on the show, and he just basically said that you know Collier would be like you know possibly the best hitter in the draft. Tamar Johnson um, right now is is listed as having you know the best hit tool in the draft. So to me, like it was a pretty easy decision, and and we've talked about this a million times before, Chris. Because people are like you know he's listed as a shortstop. He he might move to second base. Who cares? Well, right now he's right now he's listed as a shortstop. He was a high school shortstop, and the only reason is because of po- potentially his arm not being super strong. It has nothing to do with his athletic ability. We just basically said you draft a shortstop, middle in whatever it may be, because they are the most athletic person. They are the best player on their team, and he is basically talked about by scouts as maybe being one of the best prep hitters. In decades, not like years or months or like like decades. So to me, it's a great pick. I just don't know why people went to the absolute, you know, idiotic standpoint of saying that now we should trade Nick Gonzalez and, and Leova Pagaro because we have our second baseman of the future. That's, like, dumb, that's so dumb. Who said that? Was that Twitter? Don't listen to Twitter. Don't read Twitter at all. That's stupid. You gather as many prospects as you possibly can because about 30% of them actually work out. Maybe 40. All right? You get as many prospects as you possibly can, then you hope you can develop them down in your system. And then you, what you do now is you make it a competition which 
whichever one of these guys ends up being the star, they'll beat out the other guys. Okay? You don't just assume that all of a sudden this guy now is the future, so you don't need to. That's crazy. It's, a, it's absolutely in, insane. What are you talking about, Chris? He's he's going to be up here when he's 20. That's what people are saying. Oh, my like, goodness. He's, he's... People, who are these people? Stay off of Twitter. Are these actual conversations, or are you, watch, are you watching Twitter too much again? You are, aren't you? I, I think part of it is Twitter, but yeah, I think it part of it is actually in writing. States, it's like in oh, whoever's writing it is also ridiculous. I mean, come on. First of all, you don't know where he's going to end up. Secondly, he's what is he? Is he nineteen years old right now? He's eighteen. He's he's eighteen years old. Oh, not everybody's Juan Soto. Okay, I know everybody wants to find the next Juan Soto, but he comes around once a decade. All right, most of these guys are guys with potential. One has a little bit more potential than another guy because scouts looked and said, I don't know, his arm's just a little bit quicker than most guys. He's got he's got a little bit more here, a little bit more there. What I like is that they went and they got themselves a middle infielder, a shortstop, okay? I've said this before. Get a shortstop. It's the most athletic player on the team. If a guy is a shortstop, that means he's got athleticism, which means that if he can hit, he can probably play multiple positions and you can change around where you're going to put him. The most valuable guys in drafts are guys who are potentially starting pitchers and shortstops. And then after that, uh, you know, if you if you want to grab a really good catcher that you, you like the fact and you want a catcher that you know can stick behind the plate and still produce, then you go get a guy like that. OK, a really good center fielder, because worst case, he ends up in the corner, but he can hit. You go and get somebody like that. But shortstops are so Valuable. They did exactly what they should have done. They continue to stack middle infield talent because middle infield talent can move to an awful lot of parts of the field. And that kind of value is also available to you. Let's say if your window opens up and you start winning, right? Because you want the Pirates to start winning. As soon as next year, you want them to be a team that is at least over 500, you know, at least kind of like hanging around in the wild card picture a little bit for the first half of the year where you're starting to come out of the rebuild and getting close to the, to the true competitive window that you're hoping that you're going to create and open and keep open for several years. When you're in that window, there's going to come a time where you need to pick up a player and guys like this are the valuable chips in which you trade, especially if you have multiple guys like this in your system, because that, that kind of, that kind of, those kind of assets give you the ability as a team to go out and get players of need when you have your window, because in the end, it is not about finding the best young players that we all have hope for. That's a big part of it. But in the end, the goal is to win championships. And and drafting a guy like this gives you something that could lead down the line to a championship. Yeah. And just to go back to the conversation that we had with with Joe, you know, last week was that if the Pirates made the splash play in in with their number four pick, because we had talked about that it could have gone two different routes. If they made the splash play and picked, you know, a Tamar Johnson, a, a Cam Collier, um, if, you know, if, if Jackson Holiday hadn't been picked, you know, first overall, if miraculously, you know, Drew Jones had fallen, which, but we all knew he wasn't going to fall beyond two if he wasn't with the first pick, then once you got to, you know, our comp pick at 36, the second round pick, you know, at 44, that we were going to start getting college arms, that we were going to go like that. The It was either the splash was going to happen at four and then they were going to go, you know, somewhat conservative towards, you know, the rest of their picks, which is is kind of, 
you know, going back to what, you know, Bench Harrington did in 2020 with getting like a Nick Gonzalez, which was a little bit more, I know he was a college player, but it was a little bit more of a splashy thing. And then just went, you know, was able to get a couple people down later on, but for the most part, went straight into college arms. You know, we got Jared Jones was a little bit of a splash, but if you make the splash early last year, we didn't, you know, Henry Davis signed under slot with a number one pick. And then you can go out and get a Bubba Chandler. You could go out and get a Lonnie White Jr. And Anthony Solomito. You have, you know, the options to do that type of thing. And people were talking about, oh, you know, maybe we saved with, you know, getting Thomas Harrington out of Campbell University. Which I will say, I'm I'm glad we got somebody from Campbell University. Because I think it was Jack, no, it's Zach uh, Nito was possibly coming to us. Um, it had been rumored during that first day. Guess what Campbell University's mascot is, Chris? This is amazing. What is it? The Fighting Camels. I freaking <laughs> love it. Like, I want to get a Fighting Camels hat. But I mean... Listen, listen, here, here. But the thing is, also, I kind of... I'm looking at what age group these guys were in and what class they were in. Like, were they high school guys? Were they were they four-year seniors? You know, a four-year senior, you really only have to give them, like, 10 grand. The, the guy doesn't have any other options. So you can actually save a little bit on your slot value and use money in other parts of the draft when you go and you get a high school senior in Michael Kennedy in the fourth round. Because yeah. there's a guy who now, you can give him more than the $550,000 in the pick value because you saved money in other parts that you can now use for Michael Kennedy. So you're able to go get a guy who ranks in the top 100, at least according to MLB, that he was one of the top 100 prospects in this draft, and you were able to get him way back in round four because you're going to tell him, don't go to college, kid. We're going to give you way more than this half a million dollars in your slot because we've got some we've got some college uh, uh, seniors that we don't really have to give the money to. They, they got no other option. And so, like, you see what they're doing here. I like their pick. I, you know, look, prospects are prospects. Most of these guys get selected because they see something that he does really well. Then they see something that kept him out of the top, you know, for like the first round or second round that if they could fix that. He would be a first-rounder, right? A lot of teams do that. They're going to look at a guy and be like, all right, well, look, once we give him a third pitch, he'd be one of the best players in this draft. Or once he's done with this surgery, or once he's once we fix this thing that we see in his swing, that's what scouts are relied upon, and then that's what your player development is relied upon to do. I don't know if drafts after the first round, maybe the second, I don't know how much of it really then at that point depends on you know, making the right pick as opposed to do you have the right scouts that found the things you think you can fix and do you have the right people that know how to develop the player? Because you can make all the right picks and they won't work out if you don't have those things. And that matters for pretty much everything except for like the first and maybe the second round. Yeah, and look at like the second round, you know, their second round pick, a Hunter Barco from Florida, basically one of the top, you know, left-handed pitchers in college baseball I uh, ended up having to get the Tommy John surgery in May, which probably dropped his his draft stock. A lot of people said if he doesn't get hurt, it's a first round talent and the Pirates can basically, you know, bank off of if he like you said, you're talking about injuries, surgeries, you know, underperformance, whatever it may be, but the scouts see something in them that if, you know, Hunter Barco comes back from his Tommy John, hopefully you know, sometime during, you know, the middle to the end of, you know, next season, then you're getting that 
possible, you know, best left-handed pitcher in college, intimidating lefty. I go out and I don't know if you've seen the meme yet, Chris. He he basically tells he he tells the the guy who he strikes out one time, he just basically says F you and like says, you know, sit down. It was it was He's Lance Lynn, who's caught on camera all the time swearing at people, even though he's terrible yeah. this year if you look at his stats. But that's I mean, there's players like that in baseball. Madison Bumgarner is a, a big talker from what I can see. I mean, there's yeah. there's guys out there like that. Look, I like any time I see like a prospect report after a draft and I see that my team drafted a guy and in the notes it says would have been a top 30 pick if it weren't for this surgery or if it weren't for this issue that he had or if it weren't for something that's correctable that's easily correctable right like those are the when I read that I go I don't even care what the name is what school they went to when I see scouts say things about that about things like that about players then I I I feel good about the pick I mean, after that, what else do we know? I mean, in the end, they're they're young guys who have a talent. Every single one of them has enough talent to be drafted by a Major League Baseball team. And now it comes down to what's their work ethic? Will they get opportunities? Will will they be able to fix issues that they had or things that uh, can be improved upon? Some of them have to come into their body. Some of them haven't even grown to their full size. They haven't put on the muscle that they they're going to put on. They're, they're, they're undersized because they're young. I mean, you got an 18, you have an 18 year old shortstop that you drafted number four over overall. Okay. He's five ten and 175 pounds. And five ten is being very, very generous. Right. I think he's about five eight. Okay. So I don't know what he's going to end up being like. I, he's probably not growing anymore, <laughs> but, like, <laughs> but, but I mean, his body type might change a little. Okay. And, and I've always liked high school players being drafted by major league baseball teams, especially pitchers. But any high school player, because you, you go to college, you get instruction in college, but now there's four years of a possible bad habit. If you believe in your minor league instruction within your major league baseball organization, then you want to get your hands on guys when they're young, because then you are the one training them during those formative years. Like if you can get your hands on a high school kid, if you can get your hands on a really young prospect and you can start the process of training them, if you believe in your staff's ability to to improve that player, you want them and you want them young. I always look at some of these teams, they draft nothing but high school players or a vast majority of high school players. That's because somewhere in the organization, they have the philosophy that we can teach you better than Alabama or Vanderbilt or, or you know Oklahoma or whatever. We think we can teach you. We think we can take that ability and we can bring you along on our schedule and keep you on our pitch count. And we're going to make sure you don't get ruined because your team's going to the College World Series or you got a coach that's get, that needs the win to keep his job, right? So we want, we want to get a hold of him now because we see the raw talent and we want to develop it. So whenever I see a high school guy come in, in the end, how a high school guy does is all on what your, your organization does when it comes to development. If, if a high school guy fails and he's a high-end guy, you have to start looking at the team more than looking at the player. I completely agree with that, Chris. And that's that's something when like people you know put out the rankings, and we always talk about the the prospect rankings, and it's it's great to have those guys like within the top one hundred, and it's it's great to have you know a top five ranked farm system, and and those things are all you know you want to have as many talented guys as possible. But that's where we're getting to the point now that it's like, okay, now you have all of these talented guys. What are you going to do with them? 
if they fail, that's on Sherrington. That's on John Baker. That's on, you know, you're adding a, a developmental coach to like each of your farm systems teams. Like they have an extra coach uh, just in the developmental piece. So, you know, that's where all of this comes down to. It's at some point in time, like you're going to have to see the steps taken. And if they don't develop them, that's where, you know, the kind of the failure comes in. It's not about just having, you know, the top five farm system. It's about being able to develop them and being able to deploy them in your major league team, like on your major league team and and to win. Like you said before earlier in the show, the goal is to win championships. It's not to acquire prospects. Now I see the changes in this town. They change.